Thanks for listening to the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Lisa Bose. Lisa is an award-winning broadcaster and author, best known to sports fans for her time on air at TSN, CTV, The Score, CBC, and from her coverage of women's hockey at the 2010 Vancouver Olympics. Bose knows sports, and Lisa has literally seen it all during her career. A firing, a layoff, a redundancy, and a rebirth as the author of the Lucy Tri Sports book series. So why am I still talking? Let's get to it. Welcome, Lisa, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Well, I'm joining you, Andrew, from Calgary, Alberta, and thank you so much for that amazing introduction. I really appreciate the time and effort that you put into writing that, and I am terrific, especially after hearing that. (laughs) Well, that's great. I appreciate you being here. Now, if you don't mind, maybe you can fill us in. Who makes up the Bose household these days? My household is comprised of my husband and my uh, teenage daughter. That is is our small little household. And as someone who has spent significant time in Toronto and is effectively on her second tour of duty in Calgary, how would you compare and contrast living in Calgary versus living in the center of the universe? Ah, yes. Well, I'm actually, yes, I, I was born in Toronto. I was born uh, in the in Leaside area, so East York. And then I did work in Toronto for a number of years after I graduated from university. And then I came out to Calgary, went back to Toronto and get back out to Calgary again. So yes, I can give you a good comparative. I, I do miss the energy of Toronto. I miss sort of the, a lot of the um, opportunities to in terms of the arts and and a lot of the events that you can access being in the city. And I, I love the trees especially and, and the people of Toronto. I do miss that. Contrast that to Calgary, big wide open spaces, uh, you know, big sky country. And of course, uh, the mountains only 40 minutes actually from our house. So they're both very, very unique and different, uh, Andrew. And I wouldn't say one is better than the other. They're just, they both have their redeeming qualities. But I, I must say though that I do enjoy the sunshine out here. They say there's about 330 days of sunshine during the year. So in the wintertime, that's really nice to have. Well, you had me at 40 minutes away from the mountain. And now when you tell me about the sunshine, I wasn't aware of that. So that's fantastic. You got me sold. Well, we would love to welcome you because there are literally (laughs) thousands of people, uh, it seems, coming to Alberta these days. So uh, you would be very welcome. Excellent. Well, let's please go all the way back, get the Lisa Bose story. As you know, born in Toronto with your formative years spent in Guelph, please pick things up from when your life trajectory changed while you were playing soccer at the then University of Western Ontario, now just Western in London, Ontario. Yes, that's exactly right. The trajectory of my life completely changed when one of the gentlemen who was working for the student radio station sat at our table at our, you know, our soccer table for the athletic banquet at Western. And they asked uh, myself and a couple of the other girls, you know, would you be interested in volunteering the following school year? Because we don't actually get women's sports on the air that much. So it actually began kind of as that 
women's sports angle because we were on the, the, the team, obviously. So that all began as a bit of a lark for me. The following year, my second year, I would interview my teammates, you know, I was kind of saying, you know, Donowski, I was like wide open, like wanting to pass me the ball, right? <laughs> but then from there, I, I realized I really had a love of it. And my father said to me one day when he, you know, was bringing me back to Guelph for the weekend. And he said, you know, I be something you might consider because you enjoy sports. I grew up with boys. I always had sports in my life. I was at school to be a phys ed teacher initially, and then sports psych was where I was headed. And I'd always been into writing and I took drama in high school. And so it kind of combined all three aspects of my life at that time, the media world and specifically sports. And so I really started to enjoy the radio, radio CHRW, the mighty CHRW. Uh, and, and I thought, you know, I think I need to make a change here. So I quickly graduated out of my program, went to Conestoga College for a year in radio and television arts. So I completely said no to that master's in sports psychology. And then I, I started to volunteer at TSN in on Leslie Street, the old building down on Leslie Street. Uh, you have to remind me of the name of the park. I'm trying to remember the park off Eglinton and Leslie. Was Sunnybrook Park. There it is. Sunnybrook. Thank you so much. Down along there is the beautiful park anyway, and that's where our, our original TSN building was. And so that's how I started, Andrew, was uh, was working and volunteering, actually, at, at TSN in the technical side. Well, so you had followed up your kinesiology degree at Western. As you know, Conestega College to broadcasting. And at TSN, you started in 1989 as a flugan. What the heck is a flugan? <laughs> a flugan. Yes, that is, I guess that's a, they say that that is a, a slang term in German for housefly. That's what we were told. And they called us flugans. We were the the lowest of low, if you will, in the newsroom. We were the, I mean, it was entry level, like nobody's business. We were really editorial assistants. And so our job was to write the highlights for the commentators. So the flugans, we would sit on what we called the row. And at that time, we would use typewriters to actually type out the highlights. So you'd be watching maybe three games at a time. And so me and my other fellow flugans, and they were all all boys, as you can imagine, because I was actually the first female flugan. <laughs> it's kind of funny when I, I think of being a female flugan. Not too many, uh, I guess, could say that. And we would sit there on this row in front of all our monitors and write those highlights and, and then hand them off to the commentators. So it was an incredible foundation for me to be learning the business. And that's why I didn't go back for my degree at Conestoga College. I already had that kin degree, as you mentioned. And so I stayed there and continued to work in the industry and so grateful for it. And all those guys, we we still are good friends today. We'll be at each other's funerals. And many of them, I'm sure you have had on this podcast because they are continuing to to do so many tremendous things in sports media. Well, it certainly was a different age. As you know, working in a typewriter, you got support from your liquid paper whiteout, and you even had your own J. Jonah Jameson interaction. Take us back, Lisa, to the meeting where you got hired as a writer by TSN News Director Jack Hutchinson. Oh, yes. Yeah. So I had been volunteering uh, for, as I said, originally in the tech side. So that was in the technical wing. And I looked through the glass and I saw Mark Jones who is now still at ESPN. And I thought, that's where I want to be. I want to be in the newsroom. So 
they let me come in and shadow some of the other flugans. And then I had that opportunity to volunteer. So as I said, I, I did some volunteering hours there. I was not paid. I just wanted to learn. And I would drive in on the weekends from Guelph to Toronto to do this. And then Jack Hutchinson, yes, he was running the newsroom at the time. And, and I guess an opening came up and he said to me, and he was smoking a cigarette. I mean, this is what the era that we're talking about. And he said, you know, how would you like to break the sexual barrier here at TSN? And I thought, yeah, it was a strange way of asking uh, if I wanted a job, but there we are. And I said, yes, I, I think I would. And so April 1989, I, I got my first job in sports media. $50 a shift is what we earned. And we did not make overtime. So you were there 12 hours, eight hours, you would make $50 a shift. And then the government would come and take tax off. So $250 a week, $1,000 a month living in Toronto in 1989. And I remember that I had to um, I had to park my car in a parking lot, and that was $150 a month for my car. So now take that off, the pay I was making. And as you can imagine, I call those my macaroni days. And I lived on a in a, in a one-bedroom apartment with a girlfriend of mine, lived on her, you know, slept on her couch. But those macaroni days, Andrew, those mean everything. And that's that's the beauty of, of life. You, you build on that first job and you'll never forget it. And it's the adventure of keeping going to the next step. You have to pay your dues. Now, Lisa, you were also a real keener. You would hang around Maple Leaf Gardens preparing content for the on-air talent like Gino Retta, Paul Romana, Jim Van Horn. Any good stories from your time spent at the dearly departed but late great Maple Leaf Gardens? Oh, wow. Yes. Oh, I love talking to the the fellas that were, you know, running the Zamboni and the, you know, looking after the ice at Maple Leaf Gardens. I can clearly remember later as I, I would then also, you know, be a reporter later in my time at TSN. So I can clearly remember all oh, the visitors room at Maple Leaf Gardens was just so small and cramped and not a lot of room for the media to come in there. So that wasn't a really great room for visitors, which they never make the rooms nice for the visitors, right? But we're still doing our jobs on both sides of the of the scoreboard. So, um, you know, we're we're in the room no matter what. And then I can, oh yeah, the the flipping um, <laughs> the, the the press box was quite an adventure to try to get to the press box, and it was extremely uh, thin. It wasn't a very wide press box like they build today. And that was always an adventure getting in there. And uh, but just the smell of the building, the 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 history of the building. I mean, when I started at TSN as a flugan, I can remember they sent me out trying to track down. Actually, Harold ba- Harold Ballard was uh, live at the time, and he was actually not doing well. And and we were trying to actually get shots of him going into the hospital. I, I know it doesn't sound very um, well. That's the news business. What can I say? And so I can remember all that whole history of it. And then there was um, Carmen's, I think, was the name of this restaurant across the street on Carlton that everybody went to before the game. And wow, no one has ever asked me about Maple Leaf Garden. So you've caught me here. <laughs> it really, what, we're a very special building, really special building. And I, I feel very grateful that I had a chance to work in it. It's great. Well, I'm jealous. It is great to have an opportunity to work there because for anyone growing up here, just going to the games is fun. So to be behind the scenes must have been nice. 
Now, Lisa, you got a reporter job with CTV in Winnipeg in 1991. This was your dream job, and you were replacing Rod Black. That is correct. Yes, Rod got the big call to go to the network, and I uh, did an audition for Peter Young, who was the sports director at the time at CTV in Winnipeg, and my audition was to cover a Jets-Blackhawks game. So I, you know, they flew me in, and I'm so glad that that was my audition. It wasn't just a screen test. It wasn't just doing a, a 10-minute uh, sportscast. It was literally you know, doing a full-day work uh, filing for the 6 o'clock, filing for the 11 o'clock, and, and really proving that I could do that job. And I'm so happy, too, that he started me on Noon Sports where there were very few viewers <laughs> and a lot of the, obviously the sports were, we were doing a recap, right? Cause it was the noon hour sports. And I'm so grateful that that's where Peter started me because I was so green in terms of the anchoring work. Staying in Winterpeg, you moved to TSN Winnipeg and then to TSN Calgary, then back to Toronto to join the score. How did you end up joining the score television network? So TSN promoted me back from yeah 1997 I left uh, Calgary, went to do the commentator position. So before it was Sports Center, it was called Sports Desk. So I did that for almost two years. And then I was let out of my contract, which was a big shock to me at the time. And uh, so that was something that I had to deal with. And, and like many of us who have had job loss or people saying to you, we don't see you having, you know, being a fit with the company anymore. You know, I was told that my presence was no longer needed. And for me, who had worked so many years at TSN, this was a big shock. And I can 100% say that I, I definitely went into the depression. Uh, we don't have enough time on this podcast to really get into the, the nitty gritty of, of what job loss is like. But I can tell you that what it does do is it does build resiliency in you. And at the time, uh, it was very hard for me because, no, there wasn't social media, but there was a lot of um, newspaper coverage of me being let go. So the Toronto Sun stating, Bose let go by TSN. And this is hard for a person who, who really, I was so passionate about what I was doing. I felt I was doing a good job. But in our industry, sometimes it's not who you know, but who likes you. And that was sort of the scuttlebutt that uh, they just, they didn't really want me on the air anymore. So I had an opportunity to go to Cincinnati. Uh, I had an agent in Washington, but I didn't want to leave the country. I, I didn't want to leave my home. I didn't want to leave the Toronto area. And so I said to myself, no, Lisa, you're going to, you're going to find a way. You're going to find a way here and you're going to prove them wrong. And so uh, shortly thereafter, I had an opportunity actually to work in Barrie, Ontario, which was actually, I was very excited about. People might think, how could you go know, think be at network level and then, but I actually was excited about the opportunities there. But then at the same time, I also had a nice chat with Anthony Ciccioni from Headline Sports, as it was called at the time. And he and I had a nice meeting and uh, John Levy, who was uh, also running the, uh, you know, this was his baby and he uh, greenlit me coming on side to do some weekend anchoring which I'm very grateful for, and working then with my old Flugan teammate, Steve Coolius. And what a fantastic time we had at The Score. Well, let's talk about that because the listeners love to hear about The Score and headline sports from back in the day. We've had a, a bunch of alumni on this podcast, including Simon Bennett, Jesse Fuchs, James Sharman, Dave Mendonca, Tony Ambrosio, 
And of course, as you just mentioned, your close pal, Mr. Cool, Steve Coolius. Please share your experiences at the score. Well, the score was really, for me, coming from a very conservative network, we could say, in TSN, uh, to come to the fantastic energy of the score headline sports with you know, so many people that probably might have been their first job in the industry. And I had at that time, I guess I'd really been in the industry for about 10 years. So I just loved how <laughs> enthusiastic everybody was. It was so casual. I mean, I told you before about as a flugin, uh, we would type up our highlight scripts. Well, at the score, the the people that did that job, they would write them by hand. So even that was was kind of a, a neat uh, change for me. We didn't have a prompter, which was also a different thing, which I, I, I kind of like that. I like the challenge of writing my own leads and then having to perform it to camera without a prompter, with no script, so no script in the camera. And then we had an incredible opportunity. Uh, Anthony asked uh, another producer and another former Flugan teammate of mine, Tim Preston. We started something called the Sports Sports Access, which was a show that really was ahead of its time. It, the access part was was with two X's, so that was to signify that this was actually about female athletes. And on a hardcore sports network like The Score, for that show to actually do well and to get good viewership really speaks a lot to my small little team. Tim then went on to other things, and so we did a couple of seasons of Sports Access, and man, we, it was all about storytelling, and we had some incredible people on that show, and that's what it was about. It was about compelling stories and interesting people, and it just so happened that, yes, they were female. Uh, so I just love that opportunity to then expand my field producing chops and to have the opportunity to lead a small team. But when I think about the score mostly, I mean, I think about the wheel. I think about diamond surfing. You know, I mean, they were ahead of their time, the ticker. And then all the other networks started to adopt these these really, you know, I guess, you know, ahead of their time elements. And so, and then when I talk about sports access, I mean, that show went on the air 24 years ago. So it was really ahead of its time. What a pleasure it was. I love that place. Well, certainly the skills you learned and the longer form journalism you were doing helped you in your next stop at CBC, our national broadcaster. You were part of the sports journal team doing long form documentaries. And here you worked with Tom Harrington. Yeah, this, the the sports, sports journal, again, I think Andrew was totally ahead of its time because now we have 30 for 30, E60, and now TSN has the um, TSN Presents, right? So there's a lot of long form that has really come back. But Sports Journal, I think, was really the one to begin in Canada with that kind of format. And I just loved it because it was all about getting behind the scoreboard. Again, it's thinking about you have got the sports landscape, but you're having to tell these stories to a non-sports audience. So I found this incredibly challenging because here I have come from all that sports media background. And now to be able to make someone who really doesn't know anything about uh, hockey, how can they be interested in this story about Ray Scapinello, for example, the longtime linesman? Uh, so those were the stories that we were doing. And I really love long form. And I have to thank the score for giving me those opportunities with sports access, with then, which then allowed me to have the ability to apply for Sports Journal and then actually secure that job. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting how the journey 
unfolds, isn't it? It sure is. You get layer on top of layer. You use all those skills, and that takes you back to Calgary, 2004, for CTV, effectively rejoining the TSN, CTV, Bell Media, Mothership. Lisa, how and why did you return to Calgary for your second tour of duty? Well, at CBC, while I was there, and Sports Journal, I think, was heading into its third season, they then declared that uh, my role, and I guess some other people in our unit, that we were redundant. We were being made redundant, actually, is the actual term. So that means you're not actually losing your job. You're going to now be transferred with internally to another department to pick up another job that would be similar to what you were you know, currently doing. So I really wasn't excited about that prospect. And so amazingly, a job came up at CTV in Calgary part-time actually. And I thought, oh, you know, there could be some neat things that I could do. And while I uh, was at the score, I actually started something in Toronto with the Toronto School Board called Kidcasters. And it was a It was a program for junior high students to engage them in the craft of sport journalism. And so I love doing that, Kid Casters. And I thought, you know, I could, I did that here. And I also did something else. Actually, I started with the Toronto Blue Jays called A Night at the Game. And this was actually specialized corporate events. Actually, I started it for business women. And so it was an opportunity for business women to come to the game. And we would have a dinner and they would meet people around the Blue Jays and we would watch the game and I would answer all their questions. No matter how silly they might think that they were sounding, they might not understand baseball, but they were missing out on certain business opportunities because they didn't really feel comfortable going to a Jays game. So that was the premise of a night at the game. So a night at the game, Kidcasters, and then doing part-time at CTV, that's why I went to Calgary again because I thought, I could really, I love that town. It's a very busy sports town. And I had just been married three weeks. And I said to my husband of three weeks, hey, how would you like to (laughs) head west? And so that's what happened. It was a personal reason and a professional one as well. Well, great. And clearly it worked out because here we are 2024 and you're still extolling the uh, advantages of the Calgary lifestyle. Now, Lisa, your career highlight has to be your work as a host and reporter covering women's hockey at the 2010 Vancouver Olympic Games. Canada won its third gold medal in a row at home, and you got to work with the great Brian Williams broadcasting that gold medal game to just shy of 8 million people. An understatement to say it was a memorable experience for you. Uh, uh, understatement, indeed. I think anytime anyone has a chance to work in Olympic Games, and especially one at home, that's very special because that might not come around again in my lifetime. It's hard to say where the Olympic movement is heading. But yes, uh, to your comment, it's absolutely a, a career highlight. And and I feel very blessed to have been part of the team. That was the consortium. So that was a, a group of people who were made up of Sportsnet, of CBC, of TSN, all that leadership, uh, CTV, and and making up that team. And I think Having gone through that experience of being let go by TSN in 1999, I felt that this was really made me feel very, um, I guess, validated. I felt, you know, to be able to make the team and to go to the Olympics and be part of that. And I remember, too, that the gentleman that had had to tell me that I was let go in 1999, I remember him coming up to me and then 2010 and saying, 
you know, he was so glad to see me here. And it was a really special moment. And it also speaks to Andrew how the value of when you are let go, and especially when people want to say something and it's very emotional, right? It's it's such a it's it's business, but it's so personal to you. And you really can't say anything. You have to take the high road. And I think that my example is a perfect one that demonstrates that. Because in the papers, when that was happening in 1999, I made sure to thank TSN because I had to. I didn't want to put them under the bus or anything. Obviously, I was devastated. And that really helped, I think, for later on because then I, yes, started to backfill on my old job and then work for the Olympics in 2005. And so, yeah, the Olympics, amazing moment, big audience, big assignment, very blessed. (laughs) <laughs> and let's talk a little more about getting that assignment, because as you know, it's the Olympics broadcast was not the property of one broadcaster that could use their own team. It was actually, as you know, a consortium of broadcasters that presumably each wanted to make use of their own on-air talent. In this hyper-competitive and hyper-politicized situation, do you recall the process of how you rose to the top of the mountain and got that call to do the women's hockey at Vancouver Olympics? Gosh, you know, I really don't. All I know, Andrew, is that they probably had us all on the board and they would move us on and off the board almost. <laughs> and then it was really up to, I think, how many champions uh, you had in your corner in that decision room. So luckily for me, I was given opportunities to cover women's hockey leading up to those Olympic Games. So multiple times we covered the women's team. I can even remember we went down to Spokane for Canada and the United States and there was a brawl that they actually brawled, uh, which was actually exciting for me as a reporter because <laughs> it, it meant I had a good story to file out of Spokane. And and, uh, and so I, I had a lot of experience and I also had done some work with the National Women's Hockey League. So the initial uh, women's league that wasn't really pro at the time, but it was, you know, kind of the the, the beginnings, if you will, of setting us up where we are now with the PWHL. So I think that my experience covering women's hockey, also being in Calgary where the Canadian team is based, or uh, Hockey Canada is based, I think that definitely helped me. And so I was yeah truly uh, happy to get that assignment. Absolutely. It's tough to be the last person standing on that big board. So it was good for you. And I have to ask, did you get a chance to enjoy any of the Olympics experience outside of the hockey arena. <laughs> no, you know, it's funny because uh, I, I think, I wish that I had, I wish I, I did my best, I guess. I, I think the thing is, is that when you go to an Olympic Games, there's no time for really much other than being just dialing in. You're in like a vortex. And we're, in our case, in that sport, you're in the vortex of the bowels of the hockey rink. And our tournament is, it's a long tournament. As a producer said, we would be judged by our final two games, the bronze medal game and the gold medal game, even though we'd done multiple games before that. And I tried to really, we were based in Richmond, actually. So that's where we were always being bused to UBC. And then we had just a few games down at the main rink, downtown Vancouver. So I tried to really get a sense of the culture in Richmond. And I, I, I tried to, actually, there was a, um, it was around Chinese New Year the Olympics. So I went into a number of restaurants and made sure that I was saying Happy New Year the proper way in Cantonese, but I want to make sure, should I say in Cantonese or Mandarin? And so anyway, so I would really try and and do things like that around, um, you know, the, the culture I was living in. And also I'll never forget though, heading down on the Canada line 
uh, from Richmond to downtown. And just randomly, people would just start breaking out uh, singing the national anthem. And I thought that was, it was just a beautiful moment. I'll never forget that. Just on the train, people singing our national anthem. And you really felt a sense of how the Olympics were taking over Vancouver. So, no, I didn't really see anything from the Olympics until afterwards and saw it on the DVD that we uh, were given uh, from the from the consortium. So I didn't see Tessa and Scott until like months later. <laughs> you were focused on the task at hand, as they say. If you're enjoying this Toronto Legends interview with Lisa Bowes, please check out the more than 200 additional episodes available anytime. We got Steve Coolius, Ken Reed, Wendy Mesley, Jesse Fuchs, Raina Duras, and Tony Ambrosio. How they did it directly from the Toronto Legends themselves. All episodes available 24-7, 365, wherever you get your podcasts, or go to torontolegends.ca. Let's now talk about the book series, Lucy Tries Sports. It follows Lucy and her friends as they learn introductory skills in a variety of sports, with Lucy's eagerness to try new things, inspiring readers to get out there and play. The author of the series is, surprise, surprise, Lisa Bose. Lisa, what was your inspiration for Lucy and for the book series? Well, I love how you've asked me about this now because I was just telling you about the 2010 Olympic Games and that actually is around the same time that the idea for Lucy Tries came into my head. My daughter at the time was three and I was reading books to her. So this is around 2008. And I thought, oh, you know, I'm in this Olympic mindset. Maybe we could get a collection of books out for young children to read about Olympic sport. So I came off the air at CTV and I started writing into the middle of the night, writing all sorts of different ideas like Curtis tries curling and, you know, Sylvain tries speed skating. And uh, so it all began as an educational piece. I thought we could do something around 2010. Well, that was not going to happen because broadcasting and publishing work at very different paces. And (laughs) so basically I just kept, sticking to it though and it took me seven years and 16 rejections before a publisher accepted the first Lucy Tries story and I guess really Andrew it's coming all back to my kinesiology degree and then working at those Olympic Games and then becoming a parent and recognizing how we really need to inspire our kids to be active and persevere and to do so as they learn to read I thought was a really kind of a neat concept But what I found is that it it began as an educational piece, but now what we see is it's really a needed resource for educators, parents, librarians, anyone who is in grassroots sport to try to inspire through Lucy, our main character, to get the little ones to maybe try a sport or two. So that's really, I guess, the genesis of it was at the Olympic Games. And it's really been uh, quite a journey. And you definitely need resiliency as an author because, and I've taken a lot of rejection in my life. So this was no, no big deal. 16 rejections. Oh, well, you just wait for that 17th and we got one. You got it. Well, 16 rejections over seven years, but also two year timeline from getting the book from concept to the store shelves. You kind of alluded to this. You really have to pack your patience in the publishing world. It, we really do. And I think a lot of people, everybody has a book in them. Everybody has a story. A lot of people uh, feel that they like to write a children's book, and I encourage them to do so. Go for it. There's many ways, too, that you can self-publish and get that book out there. 
Uh, but children's actually is the toughest genre. Uh, and, and sometimes like they will take 1,200, uh, you know, applications or um, submissions, I should say. They're called submissions for a children's book. And they might take one or two. So the odds are very, very low. But you just have to stay with it, accept the rejection as part of it. And if you truly believe in something, you will make it happen. So true. Now, maybe you want to give a shout out to your book series illustrator, James Hearn, who you shrewdly recruited from the world of greeting cards. <laughs> yes, I cannot talk about Lucy Tries without mentioning James Hearn because he actually, it took me three years to find the illustrator. And I, I felt that my Luge story, if we just go back a bit here, my Luge story, I felt was the strongest story in all those other little ideas I was writing about curling and speed skating. And, and so that was the one that was being rejected. And so we ended up self-publishing to begin, but we needed the illustrator. It took me three years to find James. James, yes, from Greeting Cards. And he, I described Lucy to him and I said, well, I'm thinking red hair because I grew up with Pippi Longstocking. Can you make her sporty and athletic and appeal to all kids? So boys too. And so he has this beautiful touch with his greeting cards. And he and I met for the very first time in 2013, had coffee and he's from the UK. And he said, well, you know, here Lisa, I just, I, I tried to figure out if this is what you wanted. And he put a luge helmet on her and he sourced to make sure it was the correct helmet. And I cried. I cried, Andrew, because all of a sudden, what had been in my brain, what had been percolating there, this this Lucy tries Lou's story, here she was. She was alive. He had drawn her. And in that moment, when after I stopped crying, I realized we had this opportunity to have her as the main character in this series, which I felt was really powerful because there aren't many girls that are leading a sports series, not many in sports literature. So I felt this was really something where we could really make uh, some impactful statements, I guess. Well, that is so satisfying when you have a vision in your mind and through James, you're able to see that come out in real life. But there's also a potential dark side to all this. Lucy, the character has red hair, a big smile and lots of freckles. To date, Lisa, have you received any nasty letters from the lawyers representing either the Wendy's Hamburger Girl or Pippi Longstocking? No, actually, we haven't. So that's a good thing, isn't it? Because she does definitely run, you know, what's the word? She definitely looks like those two characters. But I, I think that, that the, the wonderful thing about Lucy is that she's a kid. And that's what she is. You know, we could bring in flames players or toronto maple leafs players or 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 anybody or a blue jay into ages four five six seven and they will just see another adult but when you then engage them in lucy and lucy's diverse set of friends well then they're seeing themselves and every child can see themselves in a lucy book and so i think that that's really kind of a neat thing and the well, what we see in the feedback that we get truly is saying to us that we we've really hit the nail on the head here in in how we are approaching children how we are speaking to children and how they are responding bears that out certainly that the message today is true if you see it you can be it there are about 200 different sports that lucy has not yet tried so what is next on lucy's list Ooh. One of my big dreams, actually, Andrew, is that I would love to do, well, two things. One, I would love to build a Lucy 
Sports, big book of sports. So almost like an encyclopedic type book that you could have in every grade one, grade two classroom where like each section, there would be a section for water sports. There would be a section for, you know, ball sports, a section for court sports, for winter sports. So they could access all those 200 sports that we just talked about that that we could all try. They could then access them in a kind of a very, so it wouldn't be full books. They'd be just little snippets of information with Lucy and friends trying those sports. So make it really kid-friendly. I would love to build that out. I, I have written Lucy Tries Diving, uh, but we did just release Lucy Tries Baseball. So we're now to six books in the series. And I, I'm not sure exactly, but I do know my second big thing that I do want to do is I'd love to animate her. And I think that there's a great deal of jam to her and her friends. We also have Brett in his wheelchair in basketball, and he actually debuted in the hockey book in his sledge. So the series is truly inclusive and diverse for everybody, for all kids. And I really believe that there would be a tremendous value to animating her and putting her in a digital type web series that could reach then many more children around the globe. She's in multiple languages, and I just think that we could really expand her entire platform to make her even more accessible to kids. I love it. 200 sports in multiple languages. I smell a franchise. <laughs> that's how you have to think. You have to think big, right? You have to think franchise. And that's how I think of her. I think of Lucy Tries as, well, it's like Dora. She's a Dora for me. She's a Dora, but she has this uh, mission statement, this message, this mission to inspire our kids to be active, to persevere as they learn to read so they can lead healthy and happy lives. That's great. Dora is a great template. That'd be a great business template as well. Now, Lisa, as bizarre as it sounds, this podcast is absolutely huge in Finland. So please share the story about the time that you shot pool with the Finnish flash, Teemu Solani, in Winnipeg. Wow. Oh, boy. I'm just trying to think about this. Steve Coolius was part of this? I can't uh, attest to whether the cool man was there or not, but I know you shot pool with Teemu Solani. But you can also comment on any of the interactions you had with him because you covered the Jets during... The great time when he was tearing it up in Canada. Oh yes, of course. Well, I do know. I one of well, if you have Finnish uh, listeners, then they will. Uh, there is a, a milk now. I'm, unfortunately, I cannot remember the name of the milk, but we actually shot Tamu doing a milk commercial for Finland. It was uh, so that was part of a story that we did, and they brought a big film crew from Finland over and. I mean, Andrew, you're talking to me about something that's happening like 30 years ago. So I'm doing my best here. But no, Teemu Solani, clearly he is definitely one of the players, one of the athletes that I can say is probably one of the favorite ones that I have had to cover over my career. And I saw Teemu right up until his retirement, just a very class individual, uh, wonderful to his fans. And I must have filed that first year of his rookie season, I must have filed about 10 stories for TSM when I was doing the Winnipeg Bureau. Uh, you know, his, uh, his uh, Mike breaking Mike Bossy's rookie goal scoring record to the milk commercial to just everything Tamu touched seemed to turn to gold for Winnipeg and for Manitoba, frankly, for all those Jets fans. So uh, yeah, I, I can't say enough about Tamu Solani and, and I'm always going to support anything that he does because he certainly was very accommodating to this young reporter. And as you say, he still loves his fans. He actually broke out the Jofa bucket, as they call it, in a recent red carpet appearance. So 
he still likes those good old days. Now, if you thought the Tainu Solani reference was old and made you think, this one's really going to make you think, you had an interesting gig after the NHL lockout year in 1994 when you served as a host for the Anaheim Ducks, or maybe at the time they were the Anaheim Mighty Ducks. That one I will remember. Oh, yes, I remember that one because, yes, I was uh, hired by, well, I guess at the time it was called Sports, Primetime Sports. I think it's now Fox, basically. And so right after the lockout and my big memory of that, well, first of all, the producer and the director was a female who was my mentor, Lisa Seltzer, who actually, she was one of the very first female director producers in the NHL. And she was the Chicago Blackhawks main director producer. And so she actually had hired me and brought me down and what an amazing opportunity to work with American crew. Uh, they really do look after you. And I remember uh, that I had to interview Gary Bettman in the crowd and they had me. It was very uh, classic <laughs> American style, if you will, because I was given a Mighty Ducks duck call and a t-shirt that I was to present to the commissioner as part of this hit in game. Uh, so we have, you know, so in game means obviously that you're going to do a hit in between, you know, the, the gameplay. So there's a whistle. Let's go to Lisa standing by with the commissioner. And so we did the quick little interview and I'm wearing like Mikey, Mighty Ducks earrings. I'm wearing a Mighty Ducks cummerbund and uh, we were in tuxedos. I mean, it was just classic American flash. I just loved it. And he just loved it too. He said, oh, well, thank you, Lisa. And then he gave me a game on button. Uh, so yeah, I really remember that. And then we just talked to the Disney, the head guy at Disney, and that was like a major, oh, make sure you're there on time. And uh, anyway, it was just a really unique experience. So thanks for asking about that. I don't really ever get asked about that, but it was it was pretty cool. That's a great experience. Now, Lisa, you are an admirer of former ESPNer and current podcaster, Dan Patrick. Did you ever get to meet or work with Dan Patrick? No, I never did. In fact, Dan Patrick was a, who I really did want to emulate uh, when I was uh, in my early days of broadcasting. But I also had a great deal of respect, too, for Hannah Storm, Andrea Kramer, and Jeannie Zalesko, Leslie Vissers. I mean, there were so many, too, in the, in the United States. There was many more of them than there were of us in Canada at that time in the late 80s, early 90s. And But Dan Patrick, I just liked his style. And so, no, I never met him, but I did see Andrea Kramer at the Olympic Games. I was finally done, and I actually went over to the speed skating building. It was the only thing that I saw outside of hockey. Went to the speed skating building, and she walked by. And I thought, oh, my gosh, it's Andrea Kramer. And I was, But it looked like she was probably working. So I didn't want to interrupt her, but I was so... Oh my gosh, like it was like a fan moment for me. So that was the closest I've ever come to any of those American counterparts. Well, back here on the domestic broadcasting scene, not only are you a fan and colleague of Dan Shulman, but your interactions go all the way back to your days at Western Radio. Yes, Dan and I do. We go back to that mighty CHRW or C, uh, yeah, wait a minute. Now I've lost the call numbers all of a sudden. Let's call it Radio Western. CH. RW. I did see it. Okay. So it was CHRW and Dan and I went back to our time. I think he and I worked on some hockey games. I was the host and he was the play-by-play -play for the Mustangs CIS at the time. 
men's hockey, youth sports. Yes. So Dan and I do go back many way, many years, and he very kindly has actually endorsed my latest Lucy Tries book, Lucy Tries Baseball. So there you go. All that those relationships, right? They and our industry is very small, and so it's been wonderful to have Dan's uh, voice on that. I I I really did appreciate that he would take the time to write a couple of liner notes for me for Lucy Tries Baseball. Lisa, can you still kick a soccer ball at a high level of proficiency? Or is it more likely you'll just pull a hammy? <laughs> I think I will just leave it to, uh, you know, passing with my daughter, like from maybe 10 feet away. <laughs> We're not running down the sidelines like we used to, Andrew. Uh, I, I stopped playing soccer actually about age 35, I think it was, indoor soccer uh, is what I was the last uh, thing that I did. But I do enjoy, still enjoy the game. I love covering it and I love talking about it. Excellent. Well, as we close up, you've alluded to this a little, but why don't you remind us what is new and what is next for your Lucy Tries Sports franchise? Well, Lucy Tries Sports franchise, we would say that what's next right now is that I'm actually continuing doing a lot of my school visits. So even if you're not in Calgary, I could actually come to anyone who uh, has the elementary schools. I, I like to do a virtual school visit, which I've created, and it's actually very similar to doing a television show. So I'm using my television background to do the uh, presentation for for schools across the country and into the United States. I've even been as far as Labrador. Also, what's coming up is uh, school visits uh, in person. I'm actually working with the Cavalry, which is the CPL team out here. And we will do uh, an activation of um, five schools and every child will receive their very own Lucy Tri soccer book. So that's pretty exciting. And I have the players come with me. So we do a whole activation. So I'm going back, I guess, to my drama. I'm also working on a Lucy Tries curling book at the same time. And 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 I am hopeful, fingers crossed, because Lucy Tries in the animation side, right now I am working with a studio. We have an option agreement underway. And so uh, the development continues for that aspect of Lucy Tries. So fingers crossed that we see her animated one day soon. Fantastic. You got lots on your plate. And of course, you should tell us, where can we best follow you? Well, you can follow me on uh, Twitter, for, uh, well, X. I still haven't gotten my head around the X, but you can follow me there on at Lisa Bose. I tend to tweet about media mostly, and then sometimes what's coming up with Lucy. I'm also on Instagram, at Lisa Bose Creates, where there I sometimes actually do share some of my private life. I mean, I'm a Gen Xer. We're we're not used to sharing every single detail of our life. So sometimes you'll see me post, though, from when I'm being active, I, you know, when I'm out skating or out in the mountains. So, and then I do a lot of Lucy content on there. On Facebook, I'm not on there as much, and I am on LinkedIn, at Lisa Bose. So that business side of things, I'll take over to LinkedIn. Yeah, I, and, and Lucy Tries, she herself has a, a, an X account, at Lucy Tries Sports, and at Lucy Try Sports on Instagram as well. And of course, LucyTriesports.com. You can get the full information. Oh, yes. Well, thank you, Andrew. I completely forgot about the website. That's right. There is a LucyTriesports.com where you can actually find uh, all the Lucy books. You can even order them direct there. And you can even access for free some Lucy Tries Word activities. So for those of your listeners who have young children, you can print those off for free, and it's and it's a lot of it is like sports word search and a short track maze and 
just some really fun things, but it also, again, connects back to literacy. Fantastic. Lisa, it has been fabulous to meet you, to hear all the great stories from your first career, let's call it, and now your second career as an education and business mogul. So we're going to keep our eyes on what's going on. And of course, I want to wish you continued success. Thanks, Andrew, and continued success to 200 plus podcasts. That's amazing, a truly amazing. And thank you for having me on this particular one, because I know it is mostly Toronto based, but it is really my where I was born, where I worked so many years and where I continue to visit every summer. So thank you so much for having me. You never forget your Side roots. It's been my pleasure to have you. And to the listeners, on behalf of Lisa Bose, I am Andrew Applebaum saying thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends Podcast. I'm your eager beaver. And I'm Mr. Grizzly. If you love politics or hate politics, then then have we we the perfect perfect podcast for you. The True North Eager Beaver. Incisive political commentary. We keep you up to date and give you the political and media literacy you seek. To help you cut through the bovine fecal matter. Facts first. Sound analysis. Sometimes I growl. Sometimes I sass. We impart civics and build community. And we share some laughs along the way. Being informed and engaged has never been more fabulous. Or sexy. Catch us on the Dean Blundell Network or on our YouTube channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Because democracy is something you do. I'm Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people. He, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from JeffWoodsRadio.com.